Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Let's finish uh, 1 Peter, and let's get into this as we close. Let's start with prayer. Am I on, Gil? Do you have signal? Okay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you how timely this book has been in my life. And Lord, I find that's always true of scripture, that whenever I'm going through these passages, I find that you're speaking to me through them. And I'm so grateful for that. And I pray that would be the case with all of us tonight. Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear your voice through these words and that you would impart to us things that are going to be helpful for us to live lives that are closer to you and that are reflective of being with you, Lord. And we thank you for this opportunity and, and this time that we have, Lord. Might you bless it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll go from really 6 through the end of the book, but I want you to open with me first to Matthew chapter 6, because that's where we're going to springboard off, because we're going to kind of be talking at the first part of this about anxiety, and I know none of you get anxious about anything. Um, you know, when Jesus is speaking to the group here that we're going to read from chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 25 to the end of the chapter. You know, he is talking to people who the world is hostile to them. It's hostile to the way that God wants to work in humanity. And the same thing was true of Peter and the people he was writing to. And and the same thing is true for us. It's a hostile world against the things of God. And and I don't mean in a religious sense, uh, you know, because we're Christians, we're suffering persecution. In some areas of the world, that's obviously true, but it's not true for us, uh, really, except in some obscure ways. 
but it is still hostile, I think, to the ways of God. You know, we have the ability to end world hunger, but we really just care more about profit and other things than we do about people. We just don't care enough. Otherwise, it could be accomplished. Uh, We could stop human trafficking, but it's not as important to us or enough people as it should be. And of course, there are governments that are involved. There are uh, belief systems that are involved. There is racial tension, violence that is a part of our society. And these things are all things that are hostile to the ways of God. And so that's what I mean when we're living in a world that's hostile to the ways of God. These are, how it, these are the areas that it shows up in. This is how it starts to reveal itself in these ways. And that's what really starts to develop anxiety. Anxiety um, is the way the world works. It's the way things are going. It shows up in governmental situations. Um, I have friends who are just in such an anxious turmoil because of the recent election and how things have turned out. My friends in La Paz, they were asking me, what is going to happen? We know of people who are in the United States. Are they going to be deported? What's going to happen? And they're living in fear over the election just because of all the hype and all the things that are presented with those things. And what, what a, you know, a tragedy that people are anxious about these things, that they are fearful of these things. We're fearful and anxious about economic status. What's going to happen? The markets are you know, determining so many things and how is it going to affect our portfolios or those kinds of things. Um, we're living in a world with broken systems, broken people that cause us to be anxious. What do we do? with anxiety. How do we deal with it? It causes us to lose focus on things that maybe are more important. It causes us to withdraw from situations many times to to kind of break boundaries, you know, that we shouldn't cross because we're fearful, to put up walls because we're fearful, to try and numb ourselves, medicate ourselves. Uh, do all kinds of things to stop this anxious feelings that we have. We try to find a way to escape. And really what anxiety is, is a lack of security. That's why we're anxious, is because we don't feel secure. It's an absence of control. It's an absence of peace. And so if we don't have the ability to control something, we start to feel anxious about that. And let's face it, there is never going to be a time when we are completely in control. No matter how much you try, you are not going to be in control of your life or the circumstances that happen to you. You're not in control of your physical body and if you get a disease or not. You're not in control of the people in your life and what they do or what they can do to you. You're not in control of what happens on bigger planes and governmental levels. You're, you're not in control of so many things. And if you think about it, it could make you really, really anxious. 
because that's really where we try and find securities and control. And so what we do is we make up a world that we can control. That's what addiction is. Addiction is a world that we can control. I can do this, and so I'm in control of that world. We, we develop habits. We shield ourselves from things. We lie to ourselves to try and make ourselves feel secure. And when the lie comes crumbling down, we feel anxious and we want to get away from it. And, and that's really what we need to do is deal with these things that cause anxiety. And I think what we need to do is look at Jesus and see how did Jesus deal with anxiety? I mean, people came to Jesus with every kind of problem. My child is dead. You know, my child is sick. I have this, I have that. People were coming up to him with all kinds of requests for him to deal with these things and to deliver them. I get anxious when people call me and say, yes, my child is doing this. And I feel like, what do you want me to do? I don't know if I can do anything to help that situation. But Jesus had that multiplied by the millions. All these people coming up to him with their problems. Jesus had people opposing him, threatened by him. The religious systems wanted him dead. And, and so they're following him, trying to, to quench him. Everyone, everyone wanted something from Jesus to take a burden away, or else people are trying to stop and quench what he's doing. And so he's having to live this life with all this pressure on him, and he's able to do it without being anxious. How? How do you do that? And you look at Jesus and he was defined by his father's love. He understood who he was, whose world he was living in, who it belonged to. And I think this is how we need to begin navigating through life if we're going to have a non anxious presence in life. It's going to happen instead of trying to stop things or take control of things. What we need to do is bring God's presence into our world. And that's what Jesus did is he brought the presence of God into this world. He brought reconciliation. He brought salvation. And this is how we're supposed to do this. And I think it's the the blueprint for how we can move into this place. And so Matthew chapter six, starting at verse 25, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for 
The day is its own trouble. Jesus is speaking to people who probably only had one pair of clothes or set of clothing. Jesus is speaking to people who probably only had a meal for that day. In other words, they lived from meal to meal. Most of the people didn't have refrigerators and cupboards stocked with food. Most of the people lived in a place where they were in need every day. And Jesus is telling them to confront this anxiety. And this anxiety has to do with an uncertain future. I don't know if I have food tomorrow. If I don't have these clothes, I have no clothing. How am I going to get by if something happens to me in this area? And again, the uncertain future and what will happen tomorrow. And so, I mean, that's kind of the case for us, but not to that extreme. Today might be good, but man, tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen, right? And there could be anything. Again, there could be sickness. There could be some kind of tragedy. Um, We're We're living in a broken world. We have broken systems, broken bodies, wayward hearts. All these things can take a change in a moment of time. The future that we want is not certain. The first thing that Jesus wants us to know is that you have a good and loving father who is good, who cares for you, that he cares for you as he cares even for creation. In him, we have a sense of security that is beyond our circumstances. And he gives this illustration of the birds and of the flowers in the fields. And you never stop to think, are the birds going to be there tomorrow? Are they going to have enough food? They will as long as there's in and out and you can throw French fries to them, right? There will be as long as there's rain. There will be as long as there's sunshine. There will be as long. How come... They can continue because God is providing. And if God is providing for this world and and all these things that are in the world, we need to understand that he loves us and wants to provide for us as well. That he is bigger than us. He is bigger than our circumstances. That he's bigger than the brokenness that we live in. And I think that's sometimes what's hard to understand is that God is beyond the problems that we see and above them and cares in spite of them. That nothing happens outside of his understanding. So that when you find out from the doctor that you have cancer, that it's not beyond God's understanding, that it's not beyond his care and love, that it is not without his watchful eye. And it doesn't diminish in one minuscule way his love and care for you. And so the first thing he does is he pushes us towards this understanding of God cares so that when you feel anxious, He wants you to know the Father knows about it. He knows where you are. He cares for you. What do we do then with this worry? What do we do with this energy that goes towards places where we are worried, where we are fearful? 
And he tells us, what is it going to do to be anxious? It can't even add an hour to your life. And I think this is just genius, really, when you think about it. All this worry gives you absolutely no control. You can't add even a moment to your life by worrying. And he wants us to be aware of that. It won't bring another hour of life. Most likely, it'll actually take time away from your life. It's almost like if we worry, we think we can regain control, but we can't. And I think that's what worry does, is worry tries to hold on to control, where Jesus is telling us to relinquish control into the care of God and instead to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Take the energy that is going to be used in worry and in being anxious that does nothing for you and instead point it towards God and his kingdom. And what does that look like? Well, that looks like the kingdom has called us to act like Jesus, to love, to care for others, to give of ourselves to the betterment of our world and of others in our world. That actually the way to deal with an anxious behavior is to contribute towards this kingdom that God is working in. And when we find ourselves giving towards that, we find ourselves changing our focus from our circumstances to God's care and love And we actually start participating in the work of God. And I believe that when we do that, we are more aware of his presence than when we start to worry and to freak out about those things. See, I can step into someone else's fear and crisis and I can become Christ to them. I can then become a place of healing for them. And when I start to do that, I find that I am actually a part of the work of God. I am actually seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's what Jesus tells us to do, to get rid of our anxiety and our worry, to, to move from that place. You see, we remind others who God is. We remind who God is to them and we remind them of who they are to God. There's really no security that is better than the love of God to us in any circumstances. That this is the only thing that transcends all insecurities. And so what is the thing maybe you're worried about? What is the thing that is on your mind that brings concern to you? How do you then seek first, the kingdom of God in that circumstance. Paul says the similar things in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He tells us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. This is beyond provision and security. This is beyond our ability. This is, this is something that goes beyond just circumstances. This is every kind of anxious situation that you find yourself in. Whatever that anxious situation is you find ourselves in, he's telling you, don't do that, but instead pray and ask God that we are supposed to come to God with these things, that God actually wants us to come to him with these things. So where does your heart go when anxiety shows up? 
Where does your mind go when anxiety shows up? Because Paul wants us to deal with these things. Our minds can go to worst case scenarios, at least mine does, right? Circumstance happens and I imagine the worst. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Okay, I'm dead. You know, whatever it is, it's like these things will happen and I go to the worst case. I imagine the worst sometimes and I, I just start to become fearful about those things. And then a lot of times what I want to do is I want to check out. Instead of being anxious, I'm going to check out of those things. I'm going to binge on Netflix. I'm going to watch them till four in the morning because that's how I keep my mind occupied so that I'm not anxious, so that I don't deal with those things. And so I'm kind of keeping my mind to these places. And my heart does kind of an emotional thing. My heart takes my desires. And a lot of times what that does is isolate me. My heart wants to just, I, I don't want to engage. I want to retreat. I, I want to hide. I, I want to medicate. I want to numb myself. I, I want to keep from feeling. And so sometimes we enter into unhealthy areas, unhealthy situations, unhealthy relationships, because we just want the pain to go away of the anxiety that we feel. And, and Paul is telling us that we're not to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication to present these things to God. And he tells us that the peace of God that transcends or surpasses all understanding, that word surpass and transcend, it means it's bigger than, that it's over it, but it also means that it fills it. It means that it surrounds it, that the peace of God can actually encompass the areas that we're anxious in. So this isn't about escaping it. This isn't about ignoring it. This is about inviting God to be a part of it because we believe, just as Jesus told us, that he cares, that he loves us, and that he wants to be part of these things. If we only look at our circumstances, we will only see the things that are bad. To transcend it, to get above it, we need to invite God into it so that we can get past it. In Christ, we have hope because he's the one who conquered death. In Christ, we have hope because he is the one who is seated at the right hand of God. That is why we pray. That is why we ask. That is why we bring these petitions to him. And we do it with thanksgiving. We do it with gratitude because we know that he hears us. And we know that he cares about us. And we know that these circumstances that we're in are not apart from him, but he is wanting to be a part of them. And it takes our perspective and it gives it a, a 50,000 elevation view to see above the things that we're going through and to give us hope because we know who is the one who is with us and is going to see us through this, whatever happens. You know, people who commit suicide often think that there is no one who cares about what they're going through. And when they die, it is the last thing that could be said because it brings so much grief to all the people who care about them. And if they could just get to a place to be grateful for the people who actually love them, to be grateful for the situation and the things that they actually have, they could see past their own hurt and recognize that there is something bigger than them beyond them that would help lift them out. And we need to do the same thing with our anxiety. 
We need to be grateful that God cares about us. We need to be grateful that he cares about us more than the birds, more than the flowers, and that he is with us, that he has given us Christ, that he has entered into our own pain and our own suffering. It's okay to ask God. God is happy to hear our requests, and we should be grateful that he does. And so now let's turn to 1 Peter, where we're actually at. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxious anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're always looking for someone we can give our anxiety to. We do it. We tell people our trouble. And it's one thing to bear someone's burdens, but it's another thing to expect someone to carry your anxieties. I mean, people do it even on Facebook, right? Just look at some of the posts. I mean, you name the situation, people are just a lot of times venting there. What are they doing? They're trying to give their anxiety to people. Can't believe what happened to me today. And then they leave it at that, right? It's like, what the heck? You know, what happened to you today? I don't, you know, and they're waiting for someone to say, what happened? You know, they're just looking for someone they can give their anxiety to. We, we do it with family. We do it with friends. You wouldn't believe what happened at work today. What happened? And, and we're trying to give our anxieties and we all do it in one way or another. But oftentimes what happens is we, we give this anxiety to someone and the person fails us. Or the person doesn't care as much as we think they should. And so then we're hurt and then we blame them or we blame the circumstances. And we all carry anxiety differently, but really only God can take it and carry it. And that's what Peter is saying. When he says cast our anxieties on him, it means literally just throw them on him. When we were in La Paz and we were on this boat, there was about 20 of us on this boat and we're just going through the ocean, and then all of a sudden, you know, the guy's talking on the radio, he's saying in Spanish, of course, I don't know what he's going, but all of a sudden, there's this other boat, and this other boat comes up, and the guy takes some of the things that he had on his boat, and he just throws them onto the other boat. I'm thinking, is this like a drug deal of my own? It was just a tarp he was throwing, but anyway, you know, it's like, here, this is now into your boat, this is now yours to carry, it doesn't belong to me anymore. And that's the idea that Peter's saying. We need to take these things that we're worried about and we need to say, I can't deal with this. I'm throwing them on you. I'm just casting them on you because that's what you've asked for me. You, you said that you care for me and, and that's what we want. You see, this is what we see in Jesus in the garden. When he went to Gethsemane and he's there in the garden and he's praying, God, if there be any way, take this cup from me. What's he doing? He's praying. He's asking God and he's casting this on God and he's saying, whatever your will is, it be done, not mine. But I'm entrusting you above 
the circumstance. He took his care and he casted it on God, cast it on God. And that's really what we're being asked to do here. And there's kind of four things that we kind of look at in this area of suffering that he talks about here. I want to look at first the the nearness of God in suffering. You know, we need to recognize that this is a common theme throughout all of Scripture. From the time where we hear that God hears the cry of his people who are slaves in Egypt, to God caring about the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner, to Christ dying on the cross for those who were in need, it is constantly the posture of God to be extending towards those who are suffering, so much so that he actually enters into that suffering. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. This is something that we take hope in. This is something that we believe in, that he is near to us. I mean, this is what Peter started off in his letter where he talks about God shielding us, refining us through these times of suffering, that there is a a now and not yet reality that we are living in. It's now through his spirit working in us, and it's not yet as we're still waiting and the future is being revealed, salvation is being established in and through us. It's something that we long for, but it's something that we get to participate in now. And so God is near to us in our suffering. Cicely Sanders, the one who began the hospice movement, when asked the question time and time again, where is God? said, God does not prevent the hard things, but he comes into them with us. And that was the whole idea of hospice. We can't prevent you from passing, but what we can do is enter into your space during that time. And that's exactly what God does as he enters into that place. And there's also this vulnerability. We cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. There's a vulnerability to suffering where he talks about be watchful, be sober-minded, that Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a danger that in our weakness that we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to doubt. We're vulnerable to temptation. You know, Jesus said, watch and pray that you don't give in to temptation. The flesh is willing, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that many times happens to us when we're going through times of suffering. We become vulnerable we become susceptible to these kinds of things. It's almost like, you know, okay, I'm going through something and it's like that Jurassic Park movie, you know, where you think everyone's safe, but you know, the raptors are in the grass still waiting to pounce. There's this kind of ominous presence that is there when we're going through something and if we're not careful, is waiting to take us down. It's waiting to cause some doubt. How many people, you know, kind of turn away from faith because of suffering? And again, it's probably a faith that they need to turn away from, but it's something that happens in that suffering that they become susceptible to. 
And again, this could be so many things. You could be suffering from loneliness and you become susceptible to uh, improper relationship or trying to find uh, you know, that satisfaction in the loneliness by the wrong relationship. Uh, it, it can happen in a uh, feeling of emptiness and you try and fill it with you know, drugs or alcohol. Uh, there's so many areas where we become vulnerable because we are experiencing some kind of suffering. And so we are to be alert, sober-minded. We, we don't also defeat the enemy. Notice he says we resist the enemy. We, we, resistance is not becoming passive. How do you resist? You resist by giving yourself to something different. You see, I, I resist the, the temptation. I resist being passive by becoming inquisitive. Why is this happening? I resist it by asking God to show me what is happening. I, I resist it by trying to find out more about it. I, I resist it by learning, by praying, by studying Scripture. The worst thing that we could do is pretend it isn't happening. When we're going through some kind of difficulty, you say, oh, it's okay, nothing's going on. Oh, I just trust God. Everything's fine, everything's fine. No, everything's not fine. You're going through something. You need to resist what may be happening, pulling you to a place of becoming numb. I think sometimes we can use Christian jargon to escape from the reality of what's happening. You're going through something. Admit it and resist the pull to ignore it. Resist the pull to medicate or to run from it, to, to give into it. Resist by trying to seek God through it and find out what is going on. So many times we actually find more in these areas if we actually resist and don't pretend nothing's the matter. And then we start to see really what's happening in these things, resisting and being firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by our brothers throughout the world. What is God like in our suffering? And I think we can answer that question by understanding maybe sometimes what we are like when we see someone else suffering. And this doesn't happen just in the church. When a tragedy happens, whether it's a shooting, whether it's a national, natural disaster, you start to find that people have this sense of wanting to go and help. You know, we talk about needs in Haiti or in Mexico and people want to go and assist. Why? Because it pulls on us because we desire to actually help that area. It, it brings us into, it pulls us into, we have concern to help. We recognize that people are a gift, that life is a gift. And we want to help in these areas that we Suffering can't take away this gift. It actually pulls us towards it to want to establish it, to want to build it up, to want to reinforce it. You see, he is our merciful father, and sometimes we see his mercy, how it shows up in us in these same kinds of areas of suffering. And so when Peter talks about there's others who are suffering, it pulls on our hearts to say, oh man, they're suffering. What can I do? 
You know, there are people who in our community, like Terry, who are suffering and others. And what do we want? We want to help. We want to do something. We want to take them a meal. We want to, you know, do whatever we can. Why? Because that's really what God wants to do. As he wants to be a part of that and he wants to move into these things. He, he wants to help in these areas because life is too important and people are too important to stop caring. And God doesn't stop caring and we can't stop caring. And so all this idea of suffering, which is what this whole book is about, this idea of I'm going to cast it on God and I'm going to not resist this idea to be passive, ignored. I'm going to enter into these things because God cares, I care, and I'm going to be moved with the Spirit of God into these areas of life because He's merciful, I want to be merciful. And it shows up in our lives And it shows up and we actually can celebrate and confess his reign in our lives. And that's really what this doxology is about. You know, after you have suffered a little while and God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes all I can do is recite these things. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is going to establish. He is going to hold these things. He is the one who is doing these things. And sometimes that is just the repetition of my heart and to my mind that this is what God is and what he is doing. And this is who I belong to. And I am not going to give up until it is established. And I can't wait till it all ends. I can't wait till the pain stops. I can't wait till the people I love stop hurting. I can't wait till these things stop, but I'm going to keep understanding and pushing into this. As long as I have breath, I'm going to try and move forward. I'm going to be engaged. I'm not going to let people disengage. I'm not going to be numb to the things that are going on around me. I'm going to allow them to involve me, to practice that within me. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Philip Yancey writes in one of his books about a woman who has throat cancer. And she can't really speak because she has throat cancer. And so many times people come up to her and they start talking and everyone wants to give good advice. It's like Job, you know, if if. Job's friends, the first three chapters, all they did was come and sit with him and were quiet. The book would have ended if they just did that. But then there's chapter after chapter of chapter of them saying, well, it's because of sin. It's because of these things. Everyone wants to give their advice. You know, the book of Job could have been four chapters long if they would have just shut up, you know, but they kept going on and on and on about these things. But here, this woman who can't speak, she, she writes that cancer is not the worst thing. Cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love or shatter hope or corrode faith. It can't eat away peace or destroy confidence. It can't kill friendship or shut out memories. It can't silence courage or quench the spirit. It can't lessen the power of Christ. And that's where we are. We put our trust in Christ. No, we, we throw our trust on Christ. We, we cling to him. We ask. We petition. We beg. We look to and we hold on to 
Christ as our example and our hope. And we trust in him who has the dominion forever and ever because this is how we deal with anxiety. This is how we deal with suffering. This is how we move through life and bring hope to people who need the same hope that we need by being the example of Christ to them. Let's take some time and pray. I think it would be good to acknowledge God in the lives of the people who we want to pray for. Um, Terry is going through so much. Her breathing is good now. I just got a, a text from Dave. She's on her second unit of blood. They say that they're going to send them home in a couple hours, which is great. Uh, as long as her vitals check out okay. And so those prayers have been answered. And Dave says, in the middle of this, we have a wonderful God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, when I visited Terry and Dave before all this started going, I was overwhelmed with her faith and trust in God in spite of all these things. Going into these things, no one wants to go into them, but no one would exchange what they have learned and what they've drawn from God going through them. And I know that was the case with Terry. So we want to be praying for her. I know we want to be praying for Caleb Hunsucker, um, who is in the hospital right now, just going through some difficult things, struggles. Um, I ask for prayer for my son Jordan, who's out on the streets right now, um, and not doing well. Um, and any other areas that you just feel led to pray. And let's allow this to be a time of prayer and petition and thanksgiving to the Lord. And you can pray more than once. Um, just pray as your heart is moved. And I pray that um, God would draw near to us during this time as just we draw near to him. Father, I pray for continued healing of our country. Lord, I pray that we would be the light to those who are hurting, those who are fearful of the future. Lord, that we would be an example of your love and peace to those who are concerned. I pray for my friends in Mexico who are fearful, Lord. Or that, again, they would trust in you and that they would uh, see your hand at work in your church. Lord, I know they were very confused with some of the things they were reading on Facebook from Christians. Lord, it, it, to them, it, it didn't, it wasn't sensitive to what they are experiencing, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you'd bring peace in spite of that, Lord, those things. Lord, I pray that you would help us as followers of Christ to be peacemakers, God, to extend ourselves and our love and our, our sympathy, Lord, our mercy towards those who are hurting. And I pray, Lord, for the areas in our country that are problems, Lord, the drug epidemic, the alcoholic epidemic, Lord, the homeless situations, 
the children, Lord, who are uh, orphaned and in foster care, Lord. Um, there are so many needs, Father, that we can step into. And I pray that you would give us individually, Lord, a burden to care, uh, empathy, to want to be a part of one of these areas, any of these areas, Lord, whatever you would move our hearts to. Um, I thank you that we can step into the Healthy Start program, Lord, and this Christmas season help the children again, Lord, who are in need. Some of those children are my grandchildren, Lord. And I pray, Father, that... uh, we would grow in this area of mercy and sympathy and uh, compassion. I pray for Genesis that we would grow in these areas, Lord, that you would be seen in us in all these areas, that we would extend ourselves, that we would care and love as you love, and God, that you would use us to be a light to our community, to this world, and to one another. I do thank you for this time, Lord, and pray that you would enrich our lives with the presence of your life in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.